on the world's only ad-free podcast. I'm Paul Campanelli. I'm Kirk Pinchon. This is the show where we pick a music-related topic, then we watch video clips about that topic. And if you go to musicraygun.com, you can check out our video playlist to watch all the clips we talk about. Right, Kirk? That is very correct, Paul. That's part of the fun. That's I know funny. not everybody does it, but some people do, and they're getting the most out of this show. They're living life to the fullest. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a way that we haven't been living our podcast to the fullest. How? We... We visit and revisit a lot of umbrella topics like cities yes. and artists and instruments. Mm-hmm. But we're almost 60 episodes deep and we've never we've never done an episode about a record label. That is very true. But now we're fixing that. Yeah, we've solved it. Yeah. For the first time we're doing an episode about a label and yeah. it's about time. What label are we doing? We are talking Def Jam Recordings. Def Jam Recordings. Which you just told me a second ago is the yeah. official name. I mean, I always just call it Def Jam for yeah. short, like everybody does. But I always thought it was Def Jam Records. As did I. But it's Def Jam Recordings. Very, as you said, highfalutin. Yeah. 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 Because I guess uh, uh, Rick Rubin has always been a little bit above it. <laughs> yeah. Gee, you think? That. Yeah. <laughs> Rick Rubin, for those who don't know, is the guy who started the label. Yes. Yeah, officially the one. Yeah. Started it in his dorm room at NYU. Yes. When he was just like... A 20-year-old kid with a beard who liked hip-hop. And, like, apparently kind of an asshole about it. I've read, I read, there's a book on Def Jam that I read uh, later, or, like, last year or something. And it was, he was the guy that had all, like, the music equipment in his room and would just blast music always. Yeah. Full volume. We'd have people come in and jam and record at full volume. People would be like, hey, can you turn it down? And he'd be like, no. (laughs) <laughs> well, let's get into that because the first clip is actually a little bit of a longer clip. Mm-hmm. We're going to watch an entire documentary. That's, <laughs> only, a, that's only 10 minutes long. It's an hour and a half. But for our clips, it's a little longer yes. than 10 minutes. But this is something that uh, Rolling Stone produced uh, a few years ago in 2014. It's called Rick Was Here. Mm-hmm. And basically what they had was they just had Rick Rubin go back to his NYU dorm and then they interviewed him in his dorm room. I think I've heard of this. I've never seen it, but I have yeah. heard of this. Which was a little gimmicky because they could have just done it. Anyway. I mean, the documentary is just about the early days of Def Jam. Yeah. Which he started with uh, Russell Simmons. Mm-hmm. And I bring up Russell Simmons, and we won't talk about him a lot, but we have to mention him because he started the label with Rick Rubin, and he's crucial to talking about Def Jam, and he will show up in this doc. But since he's like the Bill Cosby of hip-hop now... We don't need to talk no. about Russell Simmons yeah. beyond just mentioning We're not going to tout him that much. Right, right. Other than he created this thing. And this this little documentary, even though it's about the founding of Def Jam, is more focused on, and even though it happened before all that stuff with Russell Simmons yeah. went down, it focuses more on Rick Rubin. Which is fair because it was him who was like Def Jam recordings. And then yeah. he met up with Russell, who had Rush management. Right. And then they came together. And Russell Simmons was a little bit older. He wasn't like a college yeah. student with Rick. And they, you know, they, well, we'll watch the deck. Yeah, they'll explain it. Uh, this is called uh, Rick Was Here. Uh, and it's Rick Rubin just talking about Def Jam from his old dorm room. Which is weird because it's clearly currently occupied <laughs> they just like hey can you can but you they out? but the kids aren't like in their rooms they were just like get out of your room for, <laughs> you know for, for a couple sake. hours because rick rubin's coming in here but they were probably happy to do it because if they didn't know before that it had been oh rubin's, yeah that's awesome you would think hopefully they understood the genius of it 
Oh, this is like a real documentary for 10 minutes. Yeah. That's it's, so funny. It's the first film they produced for Rolling Stone Films. Oh, okay. I don't know if they've done anything this else. This could be the only one. Yeah. Tell us about how, like, did you ever think it could happen? How did you make Def Jam Records happen? Def Jam started out as a company um, in my dorm room. Um, we started about a year ago. We made good records. Um, we just got... Um, a label deal with CBS, Columbia Records, actually, for a whole lot of money. Now, like, that Rick Rubin, young Rick Rubin, just seems like the kid that he is. Yes. But when I first became aware of Rick Rubin was when he was, because he produced Blood Sugar Sex Magic for the Chili Peppers, yeah, which I, I was super into. I love that a, album. As, like, a tween. It's a great album. But by then, he'd already become, like, who he is now, which is, like, now he's got, like, a long beard, and he's, yeah. like... I'm a wizard. <laughs> like, he's got, like, that vibe. Yes. Yes, it was, it's like a different person. Yeah, totally. But but he was like that when he was producing Blood Sugar Sex Magic in 90 or 91. 91, which was yeah. Not, he was still in his 20s. It was not long after yeah, this. Yeah, that's true. It's I like, mean, what happened to yeah. him? Did he just become pretentious? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. So this is 1984 when he starts Def Jam in his dorm room. And I mean, look 30 at years later, it's when, just, yeah, because he hasn't been back since he graduated. Just skinnier, hairier, and tanner. Yeah, and older. Yeah. Room 712. Oh, that's such a dorm room already. Yeah, it really is. Like, whoever's living there now, their pictures are all up on the wall. That's so funny. Their microwave is there on top of their mini fridge. There's some sort of uh, work uh, sheet on the wall yeah. of, like, a diagram of work that needs to get done. But dorm rooms are really the same everywhere. They really they? are. They they look, they're really just prison cells. So the freaking walls are always the same. That yeah. concrete, yeah. yeah, like you said, prison. I can't believe it's 30 years. It's really trippy. It doesn't feel like it was that long. <laughs> they're just sitting on the kid's bed. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we don't care whose bed this is. Who's going to say, well, here's the thing. When they were like, hey, Rick Rubin used to live here. We want to interview him in his own dorm room. I bet the response was, who is Rick Rubin? Yeah. Who? Yeah. Who, who is coming into my room? <laughs> that would have been like when I was in college, like, Phil Spector. Well, I knew who Phil Spector <laughs> yeah, was. Well, so that's a bad nerd. example, but I'm a music man. Yeah. I'll say, I don't normally look back very much. But when I come here, I think of, you know, the crazy parties that we had being threatened to be kicked out for noise complaints and uh, <laughs> the adventures. I took my bed out, put the two desks together, and that was sort of the DJ area. Oh, God, yeah. speaker there, and then two desks. Where did you sleep, though, bro? He didn't sleep. <laughs> I lived on this side. I remember it heavily congested. A lot of albums, music yeah. equipment, um, and it, I remember it to be very, very... Tiny. I walk into uh, Weinstein dorm, room 712. That room is completely dark. <laughs> Sitting in the middle of that room is Rick Rubin. It must have smelled. Yeah. I look around and, and, and I go... This is roommate. You know, where, where are you supposed to do your studying? And, and, he, and he just goes, studying is to be done in the library. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's serious. Records that were made early in the years of hip hop, 
They were essentially R&B records with a band playing an R&B club track, and then it had rap on it. But if you went to a club and saw an MC, it wasn't that it was a DJ scratching and it was beats. Anyone who can make a cripple man dance, I Yep. He's like a baby. Yeah, he does. A rare picture of Rick Rubin without a beard. Yeah. Yeah. Don't like it. <laughs> uh, I shockingly like him with the beard. Yeah. I just felt like it was possible to make a record that felt more like what the club felt like. I had never met anybody so focused. One. Oh my God, is that him? Jesus. Yeah. Him. Wow. Babyface. Yeah. Must have been freshman year. A do-it-yourself attitude where he knew what he wanted to do and he was not afraid to fail. Nine Nine Records was records very hung out in, and they put out their own records. Through them, I learned the process of making our own records, where to have the sleeves made, where to have the labels made, and started putting out records. Yeah, the jam recording. was a big D and a big J, and it really was about the DJ's place in hip hop being, in a way, equal to that of the MC. This is what you call a crossfade. Slides from one turntable to the other turntable. Jazzy J. Jazzy J introduced. Uh, Jazzy J is the one that introduced uh, Rick Rubin to uh, Russell Simmons. Yes, yeah. that's how that started. Yeah. Favorite was Jazzy J. Thought he had the best taste, played the best music, and befriended oh, yeah. him. And, show um, that is. <laughs> if we could make a record together, I decided to team up with Tila Rock. So I guess Tila Rock and Jazzy J put out the first hip-hop record on Def Jam, but my understanding is Rick Rubin was a punk kid, yes. and he had a band, and he used the label to put out his punk band's records yes. first. Which also, like, they don't talk about it too much here. They talk about it in the context of the Beastie Boys, but, like, punk and hip-hop were more related than the, Yo, yeah. than, than any other, than they were to other genres at the time because they were both so like New York underground. Yeah, guys. and they were both rebellious and they yeah. both came at the pretty much the exact same time. Yeah, so yeah. it's not like wild that Rick Rubin was a punk kid who yeah. also was into hip hop, even if he wasn't making that music yeah. himself as a musician. Yeah. But was interested in it. I think just, he was interested in it also just because of the rebellious side, probably. Right, yeah. right. They go hand in hand, yeah. which is like the Beastie Boys. Yeah, mentioned they started as a punk group and they put out Cookie Puss as sort of a goof. Yeah, and that took off. Yeah, so that's this is just crazy. It was the first record. It didn't sound like anything else. But that sound, like that's the Death Jam. Sound. That is that sound. Just it's just that boom bap. Yes. and the scratch. It's the and, two by four hitting that drum. Yeah, sound, which is what I grew up. Wow, what the fuck is that? It was through that record that I ended up meeting Russell. He was really in the record business already. He was a big fish in the small pond of hip-hop, but he was the biggest fish in hip-hop. And I was, again, a kid in college. I mean, Rick, Rick struck me as, you know, uh, a, a shocking first that he was white. Then he, he had a drum machine for hits. That's Def Jam. Yeah, that's Def Jam. He was inspired by a culture and spit his own version out. As a manager, I had all these artists, and as a record company, I had this talented, talented person. And then we partnered, and we started to put out records. By him being my partner, it was a more credible thing right away. It was a, a real, it was a real record company. 
Def Jam exists as Rick Rubin and Russell Simmons now, but Def Jam Records is still located in the dorm. So at this point, I'm now interning for Rick. Yeah. I need the credit. That's roommate again. <laughs> I need the credit. Yes, I mean, that's wild. They didn't like put an office anywhere. They operated yeah. it out of his dorm room until he graduated. I think. Yeah, I think he actually left for a bit. Mm. And like, because he's like, I'm not doing school anymore. Yeah. But he would still keep his dorm room. Yeah. And record and stuff, even though he wasn't really a student there. Yeah. And then you just, you think like, oh, he's a fucking kid. Yeah. He's a fucking kid when he did this, man. Teen to early 20s. Yeah. He's so hippie now. (laughs) So funny. This was Death Jam's distribution center. We'd have. In his dorm. Boxes to the like, funny. in the dorm's mailroom. In the dorm mailroom is his, like, distribution center. I just can't believe they let him do it. Yeah, I guess. Like, I can't believe it didn't get shut down at any point. I, they, it must have been so under the radar to the administration. Yeah, I guess. But, but you'd think the employees who work in the mailroom yeah. at a certain point would be like, enough with this. <laughs> We're not shipping out records for yeah. you. I don't know. It's crazy that it stayed for so long. A lot of uh, accomplices in the process. I look at the Rick Rubin now, and I'm like, you look like you like the Grateful Dead. Now. Yeah, yeah. It's He's weird. always looked older than he is because yeah. he just looks like an old He looks wizard. like an old hippie who maybe would be at a Jimmy Buffett concert. Yeah. <laughs> the logo is the best. actually has our dorm room listed on it. No. On the sleeve, and the address is room 712. And dormitory because I had saw the FGM Productions... Um, phone number and logo on, um, and that's how LL Cool J found him. Yeah, I used to be at Rick's place all the time. He had just started uh, Def Jam. I was the one that listened to the demo tapes. I got one. Yeah, I had from rock from Beastie Boys. LL Cool J. I said, "Man, this is really good, Ricky. You got to check it out." He was great, and he was 16 years old. And we called him, and he came. He came and visited the dorm, and uh, we decided to make records together. <laughs> I mean, the three, the holy trinity of Def Jam, you can disagree, but I would say it's Run DMC, yeah. LL Cool J, yeah. and the Beastie Boys. Oh, yeah. Like, those, they have yes. other big artists, which they, we'll they talk about huge, in our episode. Yeah, but, we have huge artists, but, but those are the big three. Yeah, when I think of Def Jam, those are the three I think yeah. of, absolutely. They're the ones that paved the way for everybody else. Right. I need a beat when I sold I need a beat out of the box. I felt like I arrived. Like, oh, shit, I saw a record. It was normal life. Those photos of the party were also in the door. That's insanity. They would just have the labels parties in the door. Weinstein is the name of the dorm hall that he was in. So weird. Again, how, 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 how did they let that happen? Nothing I mean, close to that ever happened in my door. Not, nor I. I don't Quiet know. hours started at 10 p.m. I don't know if it was because it was the 80s, if it was because it was NYU. Yeah. And it was just it was just the convergence of those two things where people were like, that's fine. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine that happening unless it was like in a frat house. Yeah. In the dorms. I can't where remember. it's can't, monitored more. Right, yeah. Yeah, I know. Were there no RAs or like a hall, the head of the hall? Maybe it just like, wasn't that big of a deal to them, I yeah. guess. Because no, if no one complained, then it, they just kept doing it. I don't know what the culture at NYU was like, but maybe, maybe like you said, it's like 
Because it's in the city, maybe yeah. it's just a little looser. Yeah, maybe like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. Or, you know. I don't know. It's wild to me, though. They weren't even old enough to be in college yeah. yet. Oh, my God. The girls away from us because they were so cute. They were a punk rock band. They had a song called Cookie Puss, which was uh, an experimental hip-hop rapping. It really cool. They were a live band, so they needed a DJ. They asked me to DJ for them. That was what started our working together relationship. Rock Hard, I think, was first. She's on it, I think, was second. And then we worked on the album, which took a long time. I mean, probably over the course of about two years making that, that first Beastie Boy album. Didn't come out till the end of 86, right? Yeah, that, yeah that's right. Again, I go on record as not liking this album. The whole album? Nah, it's okay. I mean, I could see Fight for Your Right, which it's is terrible. it's I don't atypical. Like, I don't like... I'm not a big No Sleep Till Brooklyn fan. Oh, okay. Not Paul Revere? Paul Revere's good, yeah. <laughs> I need Paul Revere. Something a little bit dangerous. It invoked the classic turn that noise off. I mean, the song's terrible. Yeah, but it's also not... It's not even hip-hop. Yeah, no. It's like a novelty song making fun of the people yeah. who would like this. And it continued to run out of Weinstein until I graduated from NYU, and then we got a proper office. Nothing that happened was intentional. Nothing. Everything was trying to make something cool to play for our friends that they would like. That was all it ever was. And then selling enough records to make another record. We did it effortlessly. You know, with love and appreciation for music, and that's it. We didn't think about nothing else but the music. It's what you can bring to it. <laughs> He's signing the wall. Yeah. And he's going to be like, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> Some old guys in my room yeah. writing on my shit. They're going to get charged for that yeah. when, they, when they leave at the end of the semester. Mr. Rubin, sir. <laughs> Oh, that was really interesting. Yeah. Wow. But it is too, like, I, I do feel like, you know, I hear, like, young guys now, there's some young guys in our office who are into music, and, like, they're all about creating a brand, creating a label. Yeah. Kind of, like, building an audience, which is kind of how things are now. Yeah, but it's, like, the product itself is barely an afterthought. It's second, yeah, the yeah. product is off the secondary as, yeah. as opposed to how can I get it out and market it. Where like, Which is so gross to me. That's what I just hate about yeah. it. The branding culture in general yeah. is like, yeah. it's, the product doesn't matter, the packaging is yeah, what matters. Yeah, exactly. Where, where for Def Jam it was the product and then they're like, oh, now we have this product, I guess we're this company, Def yeah. Jam, that and has this and brand And it took now. off because it found yeah. a niche that no one had exactly. filled yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was just a sort of the beginning of Def Jam. Yeah. But now let's get into it with uh, your first clip. Oh, this... Oh, from a movie I've never seen. Oh, this segues nicely, the documentary, into this, because this is Crush Groove yeah. from 85, which is the fictional telling of how Def Jam started. Very fictional. Right. And and it also has a lot of artists in it who aren't Def Jam artists. No, most of them are... Well, some are, some aren't. Yeah. Uh, what it is, is they're Warner Brother artists. Okay. And this is a Warner Brothers movie. 
Right. So basically, Warner Brothers like, you're going to put some of these people. The fat boys. The fat boys. Yeah. <laughs> um, Who I like. I, they get shit out of I, like I think they suck. <laughs> I hated them. When but they're I, lovable. Ugh, I hated their raps. Yeah. I hated their sound. Uh, Chris Groove is, it's, it's an iconic Hip hop movie because it was one of the first that happened. Yeah, I've I'm I I will say I'm ashamed. I've never seen it. I've been aware of it since yeah. the nineties. I've just never seen it. It's not amazing, right? It's, it's okay. I think of it in the same way as Breaking. Yeah, where like it captures a moment. Yes, and it's exactly. good at capturing the moment, but it's not actually a good movie. Yeah, exactly. Would you exactly describe right. Crush Groove that way? Yeah, it's yeah. exactly right. It's cool because these artists are in it. Yeah, and it's about a really cool new topic. But the story itself is really kind of hand-fisted. Yeah. You know, it's these two guys, um, supposedly uh, Russ and Rick Rubin, but Russ was played by Blair Underwood. Oh, okay. Which is great. Who plays Rick? Just play, I think it's Rick. Oh, he plays mistaken. himself? Yeah. Okay. And I think Russ was like, I don't want to do it. Yeah. And so they're, and they're like, great, because we're going to put Blair Underwood in <laughs> And it's them starting a label called Crush Groove. Yeah. And their trials and tribulations. And then they throw in a love story uh, that uh, kind of takes a bigger plot, takes over the plot more than you would want. Yeah. Because apparently Warner Brothers is like, no, this needs a love story. With That's how you make movies, Kurt. Yes. Yeah. And so they're like, well, we're going to put Sheila E. in it, yeah. who is uh, was a Warner Brother artist. She's great in it, actually. Yeah. She's got a lot of charisma. And this is the theme song to Crush Groove called Crush Groove All-Stars. So what, Crush art, Groove. what artists are we going to see? We're going to see the Fat Boys. Mm-hmm. We're going to see Run DMC. Sure. We're going to see uh, Sheila E. And we're going to see Curse Blow. Curse Blow was a Def Jam. Oh, was he? Yes. They signed him? Yeah, okay. they signed him. Yeah. Well, this is also going to stand for... This is going to be our Run DMC clip for yes. the evening. Yes. Because we don't need to explain Run yeah. DMC to people. Guys, you know. Run yeah. DMC was on Def Jam. Yeah. We all know. This song's okay. Yeah. It's it's a good slice of, of time. So there's a very young Blair Underwood. And so, like, they showed, like, yeah, they did it out of this with their home. Here's the Fat Boys. They're not so much different from Run DMC that I can They're understand. so different from Run DMC. <laughs> But their style is like, how can you hate them so much? Just I just... Uh, rapping in that Def Jam style. I just don't like... I did not like their music. They're goofa dupes. Yeah. Too, I mean, the thing is, with this movie, because they did have this uh, charisma together and this yeah. comedic chemistry... Was oh, this how they got disorderly? Yes. This is exactly how they... And they, they weren't supposed to be such a big deal in the movie, but yeah. apparently they're like, well, they're funny, so we're going to pump them up more. Yeah. And they kind of be, took over the movie a little bit. This is a classic 80s video where it's them showing clips of the movie and then video. video. Yeah. So you see, like, Run DMC's not as much in this movie as you would think. Right. Because maybe they couldn't act or didn't and They just kind of... Well, then they did Tougher Than Leather. And so here's Run DMC. And you'll see some guy in the back with a white guy with a mustache. Yeah. I don't know who he is, but it's just odd that he's in there because he's just so goofy. <laughs> you'll keep looking at him going, and he's dressed really goofy. He's got a bow tie with a chain on front of it. But he loves this rap. He's, he's really happy with these it. kids have really got something with this yeah. rap. DJ Run. Yeah. 
So yeah, so the, the so the brothers are basically both in love with Sheila E. Uh, they become a triangle. What Run and Blair Underwood? Yes. Okay. So, Spoiler so even in the movie. Yeah. Because because Run from Run DMC, if anyone doesn't know, is Russell Simmons' yes. kid brother. Yes. But even in the movie, they keep that relationship. Yeah, they keep that relationship. Spoiler: She goes with Blair. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we're about to hear Sheila E. rap right now. Ooh. And she's not bad. She's got a lot of stage presence. Right. And really interesting, she does two songs in this movie. Yeah. One Holly Rock and one Love Bazaar. Love Bazaar was a big hit. Those are Prince songs. Ah. Because he was uh, he was on Warner. Yeah. He's like, yeah, here, you can take those two songs. It's fine. <laughs> He's like, whatever. That guy had a lot of songs. Yeah, he had a lot of songs. <laughs> so he gave Crush Crew Love Bazaar and Holly Rock. Yeah. Holly Rock's an underrated song. It's actually her rapping, but it's with that Sheila E. percussion. Yes. Here's Curtis Blow. There you go. So I just learned this. I no joke learned this today. Kurzweil's like he's about to undergo his second open heart surgery as we speak. Oh, to, like not when this was no, in nineteen eighty four, but now, oh, right okay. now. Yeah, he had open heart surgery earlier this year. Yeah, and apparently it didn't help. So like as we speak, he's like in the hospital. Oh geez. Well, hopefully when this episode actually goes out, he'll still be with I us. I hope so. Yeah. Yes. Good vibes to you know. Curtis Blow. Yeah. yeah. So in the plot of Crush Groove the movie, do they keep the element where it's operated out of a dorm? I thought it was they did it more out of a home. Oh, okay. If I'm not mistaken. And there, and also, there was Sheila E and Blair and it would break dancing. It's <laughs> bad. In the movie, the name of the label is Crush Groove. Correct. Which is a kick-ass name for a record label. Kick-ass name. Why doesn't someone use it for real? You think it's rights issues? Like you can't I just swipe it? I think it's too iconic now. Because yeah. <laughs> Crush Groove is such an iconic Crush with a K. Yeah. Yes. Also, fun fact, um, LL Cool J is in this as well. Barely yeah. in it. He's yeah. like a guy. He's almost like an extra in it. And then does a little bit of rapping. And Chris Rock is in it, billed as Guy on Payphone. Oh, he's just a, he's just in it like in the background on the payphone. Would that even have predated his appearance in Beverly Hills Cop Two then? Because that's yes. in '88. So yes, I thought that was Chris Rock's first yeah. movie. That was his probably first speaking role. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, okay, introduce this next weird clip. Oh my God, do you know who this is? I only know this through the context of the SNL sketch, which is brilliant. Uh, the Raz P. Berry music video yes. starring Childish Gambino from just a year ago, which. When I saw that, yeah. I lost my shit. It's so weird that they that sketch got beyond dress rehearsal. Unbelievable. It's a five minute long sketch that parodies this music video in 1986. It beautifully. Yeah. This song is The Rain by Oren Juice right. Jones. Yes. And it's awesome. <laughs> I I didn't know that this was Def Jam. I just Knew that this was a one hit R and B song. Yeah, had no idea until we started researching this episode. I was like, "Holy shit, this is fucking Def Jam!" I'm I'm putting this on. Kind of. I read a little bit about him, and and Def Jam had a side label that was called can't remember what it was called, but it was like four R and B artists yes. on Def Jam. Yes, and he was the first one they signed yes. to that like subsidiary. Subsidiary, yes. but it's still technically Def. Jam. Technically Def Jam, and he recorded a bunch of stuff for them until he kind of faded away. This was the only thing that the only ever, hit. It was the yeah, only everything hit. Everything else yeah. is. But some of you will be like, "What the fuck is this?" Others you will be like, "Hell yeah, I remember the song." And this video is wacky. Yeah. Well, when that SNL episode aired a year ago that was like the sketch people were talking about I was losing my shit because I'm like 
to do, and I, I almost positive it had been childish game to going, I want to do this. Yeah. Because you have to love this song to do that sketch. It was a big hit at the time, but it's not like, it doesn't endure as a no, classic. not at all. And, uh, and it's such an obscure reference. Yes. And it's such a long sketch. It's a long sketch. <laughs> and it just is, goes on and on. This is more... You don't really hear this on the radio that much anymore on yeah. older stations. It's more of a... This is like a novelty hit now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the sketch was a 10 to 1 sketch. Do you know that? Where, yeah. It's, it, it's the last sketch of the, the night. It's is traditionally like a weird thing yeah that's more like for the writers than for the audience because yeah. it's when everyone's already turned it off but it's spot on and and i think this was a 10 to 1 sketch which it had to have been because it's such a it's, it's such a 10 so to 1 sketch and you'll see this video you'll be like wow the video is just as weird yeah <laughs> and him <laughs> So the, in the parody, the song is called The Night. And it's, <laughs> I saw you and him strolling through the night. Yes. And then at the end, he's like, oh, wait, it's not you. I was wrong. Yes. The, the joke of the video of the sketch that takes five minutes is he's not the girl who he sees doesn't know him. And he confused her for someone yes. else. So, which it's is taking, brilliant. Right. And this is this is basically Orange Juice Jones going, I think my woman's cheating on me. Uh-huh. I'm going to stalk her to prove that I am right. Yes. And then I'm going to kick her out of the apartment. Right. And you'll see at the end, the end is just talking. Yeah. It's, well, just like the video. I mean, like just the, like yeah. the sketch. And it's great. Yeah. Like he this, walks in and he confronts her. He's like, "Hey, girl." Yeah, like, oh. it's really weird too because this beginning is just—he's kind of just singing in a high voice. Yeah, and it's just like okay, and then it gets into that. What made this song so popular was the talking at the end. Yeah, but it, it already was, seems like a parody. He kind of looks like Eddie Murphy. Yeah, it's <laughs> and I love—he's stalking them. Yeah. And they can't see him. Right. He's right. like right next to them and they're like not noticing. Because he's just that slick. He's that slick. He's the juice. <laughs> he's getting rid of her shit. They're walking in the rain. Yep. She's cheating on him. And he's like, I'm about to get my revenge. Yeah. But again, here's like this moment. I'm like, I don't see him. <laughs> it's, it's music video magic. Kurt. <laughs> it is. He's not really there. He's a ghost. He's a ghost. He's actually dead. That, oh, now it takes on a whole other vibe. Patrick Swayze. Maybe that's the thing. Is he's dead, but he doesn't know he's dead. <laughs> so oh, she's... Yeah. It's, it's more like the sixth sense. Yes. Or like, he thinks she's moved on. Or she that she's cheating on him, but really he died. And she's just <laughs> moved on. So the whole time... That whole monologue, he's re- she doesn't hear it. Right. She's just moving on. Yes. Oh my God, that's it. Right. Yeah, he solved it again. He just needs to meet Haley Joe Osment to guide him <laughs> yeah. through. Yeah. That's right, because those the three backup singers just disappeared in this video. Yeah, so yeah. They've come to terms. They're angels who are there he, to take him to heaven. He's going to come to terms with it in the end as well. I just love the way he says, it's him. It's great, because it's unnecessary. <laughs> you don't need it in the song. Right. Here it comes. <laughs> I got some hot chocolate on the stove waiting for you. <laughs> It's so funny. <laughs> I missed you so much I followed you. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many good sayings in this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little rough. It's explaining what he yeah. did to her. In, a, in an apartment that is supposed to be luxurious, and, eh, it's okay. Also, by the way, if someone cuts up your credit card, just call the credit card company. Say you lost the card, they'll send you the yeah, card. It'll be it, there in a week. It's really no big deal. Yeah. Orin, you kind of missed the boat on that one. Yeah. <laughs> and the best is they intimate that she's now homeless. <laughs> yeah. Because she's walking the streets with a Because she doesn't have a man to take care of. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Juice. <laughs> this really seems like it could be an Eddie Murphy song. It could from be. This album. If you told someone, what do you think of this joke song? They'd yeah. be like, oh, this is really funny. Yeah. No, it's real. <laughs> and then he changes into a robe. Here's the best line. <laughs> You're just missed. <laughs> We, me and my friends would say that for about a year. Oh, that was in a lot of songs. This is the first appearance of yeah, that phrase? this is my world. Just a squirrel trying yeah. to get a nut. Oh, okay. my God. We would just say that to each other constantly. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> we could not get enough of saying that. I like uh, that hush puppy wearing crumb cake. Crumb cake. That's just that's, dismissed. You're, you're, <laughs> I'm going to start calling people hush puppy wearing crumb cake. That would go over real well. That will make yeah. it seem as cool as orange juice. They're like, like, are you orange? Yeah. <laughs> the juice. Yeah. No, that's an amazing yeah, it's great. artifact. <laughs> which I, like I said, was only aware of in the context yeah. of Raz P. Berry. Which because is, when, that, when that came out, I was like, oh, this is a parody of a real thing and it's barely a parody. It's basically just... A cover. Exactly. It's a cover. <laughs> yeah. It's a really good cover of the song. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are you aware of the documentary Big Fun in the Big Town? I'm not. This is a music documentary that was made for Dutch television in 1986. Okay. Uh, where the, these Dutch filmmakers and a Belgian host came to New York City and filmed over the course of eight days. And the documentary features two halves. Okay. And the first half is all about Iggy Pop and the Stooges. Okay. And the second half is about the hip-hop scene. Oh, okay. And it sort of became like an early... It was one of the earliest documentaries about hip-hop. No. Oh. This is from 1986. Okay. So this clip from it... And you can watch the whole thing on YouTube. Mm-hmm. But this clip from it is just them talking to LL Cool J. Ooh. So this is going to be our LL Cool J. There clip. we go. Good. Uh, where they go to his grandmother's house where he was living because he was still 17. Yeah. And they just knock on his grandma's door and they're like, can we talk to LL? And they're <laughs> like, sure, baby, just wait a minute. I heard he, <laughs> his mom is, or his grandma is really influential with him. Yeah, yeah, she seems great just from yeah. this clip, but they just go inside the house where LL was living in Queens. That's great. Yeah. Oh, wow. Up, oh, the Belgian filmmakers are here. 
honey, the Belgians are here. They make it seem like, obviously, they, they you know, they try to make it seem like they just came and were yes. unannounced. And it was like, like, is LL home? And she's <laughs> like, oh, okay, but yeah, like they didn't plan it. Yeah, like this wasn't already set up. Right. This wasn't take five. <laughs> Shot of a neighbor, like, oh, who are these Dutch people? Is this L.L. Cool J's home? Yes, it is. You must be his grandma, then. Is he at home? Yes, he is. Can I see him? Hey. Can I come in? Sure you can. This isn't awkward at all. It's so unrehearsed, rehearsed. Is the gold record already showing that to you? Yeah. Programmer. He's not even out of high school yet. <laughs> Already the fucking coolest guy in the he world. Is so cool. At yeah. 17. At 16, he was. Oh, God. I, I, I could never have touched how cool this kid was. No. And he hasn't, and he also, like, never became uncool. LL Cool J is still as cool as he always was. Yeah. I still, I was a big LL Cool J fan from the moment he came out. I had, I must, I think I still have like three or four of his now, maybe five. Yeah. Um, I will say I'm not a fan of his uh, acting career. Oh, you don't like uh, Deep Blue Sea or uh, SWAT? Or what was that sitcom he was on forever? It was like in the Man, house? Of, Man of the House. Man of the House. Like or, that. Yeah. Or in his, the House, I think. Uh, or his, uh, or his uh, de- movie debut with Michael J. Fox, The Hard Way. Was he never in anything good? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Try there was think. something with LL Cool J. He has so much charisma. He had to have been in something good. Right? Yeah, he had been in something. Those are the ones that could pop into mind. I don't know. <laughs> oh, Deliverers from Eva. I don't know. That That's is. a good one. It's him with Gabriel Union. That's okay. a good one. Yeah. This is full on Red Kangal wearing. You, you are one of the few who make uh, love raps and rather tender love raps. <laughs> love Why raps. The do that, you think? This well, looks like a James Urbaniac character. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Does it not? Oh my god! <laughs> I had heard that or read that um, that is true like uh, Rick Rubin was like I want to fucking do a love rap yeah he really didn't want to do I Need Love and then I was like no man we're doing it it's going to be big we're doing it and yeah. he was right yeah he was right well, because no one else had done it. No, exactly. Express myself and let them know that I like them and love them and want them. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's really unique. 17-year-old straight guy who wants women. <laughs> yes. Never heard <laughs> really? of Really? What, what's on your mind, 17-year-old dude? <laughs> Is there anything else? Uh, ladies? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I Wow, am. you're a real iconoclast. <laughs> <laughs> you're so different. Yeah. That's all it is. Watch your back. So what Watch you your mean? back because you might get hit. Can you give us some uh, definitions of the LLs? LL stands for ladies love legend and leather long and lean love of ladies. Last for the red hot love is looking for a little. Look to learn the one you're liking. Just a lot of L's. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> ladies love legend and leather long and lean and don't wear pleather. Last for the red hot loving MCs. Looking for a little. That's my theory. It goes quick like lightning. Too exciting. Lover of ladies don't allow biting. Level headed leader. Toy boy feeder. Good love life and a rhyme by the beater. Look and learn. The one you're liking, listening, you will love what I'm writing. Ladies love long, hard, and lean. And now you know what LL means. 
There you go. I thought it just stood for ladies love. Cool ladies love. But it stands for 50 different things. It's, it's many different things to many different people. Yeah. Do you know who this cat's with him? No, he said Easy E. It's I think they were just easy. using that as like slang. Yeah. And then easy no, I don't know who that is. Can you say that rap is a, a boys thing, even a macho thing? Because there aren't much girl rappers. What's your opinion on that? Well, yeah, girl rappers oh, is just rap. a... You know, not many, not many. Well, that's just, boys. you know, it's inevitable. Just like anything else, you know? It takes time for you to get these things, you know? Female rappers will be, you know, they after eventually they'll be a big successful group. He was right. So yeah. It's inevitable. This takes time, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The male rappers haven't even got to where they're supposed to be yet. You know what I'm saying? We want to be way up there, like, just like that. They're just like going to the sky, man, you know what I'm saying? He's just fucking freestyling. It's, yeah. it's great. He's also right about everything. Yeah, he's right. And like, I mean, hip hop itself is less than 10 years old at this point. Oh, yeah. It's still in its infancy. Yeah. And there, I mean, yeah. even the biggest stars are still sort of underground thing. Yeah, exactly. He wasn't a huge, massive. Not everyone knew who L.O. Cool was right. at this point. He also, even at this age, has that tick of licking his lips. Oh, yeah. Like it never, it's like from the beginning. It's not a thing that he came up with. It's. He's been doing it. Well, I don't know how much of LL's persona is that's just who Todd is mm-hmm. or, and how much of it is calculated the way that like Michael Jackson like very consciously produced himself from yeah. a young age. Yeah. I would suspect that that Todd is just a naturally super charismatic kid. That's my guess And too. didn't like have to think about a thing. No. He's just fully himself. He's just doing it. Yeah. I'm high. You know, then the girls are comfortable. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a macho. What do you call it, egotistical pig or whatever it is? What if the rap lyrics look on the earth? Yeah, and then when did uh, Big Old Butt come out? Like <laughs> 80, 30 seconds after this interview. Yes. <laughs> he recorded it right after he stopped. Are very macho type. I mean, to sing about themselves, they boast about Yeah, but I think say. about girls telling them my daydream love scenes when you pass by. I wonder what the future holds for you and I. So I'm not, you know, being like that. You know, it's just, that's just part of life. You know what I'm saying? If you don't express to somebody that you're proud of yourself and how you how you coming off, you know what I'm saying? Then how they gonna know? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? How they gonna know what to believe? You know what would you say if they got on a re- on a record and said, you know, I'm a sucker, I'm a punk, and I can't even fight, I don't make no money. You know how that sound? What do you know about <laughs> I mean, he's not he's not lying. I don't rap about problems. You know, I don't rap about things. And he's so that, composed at 17. Yeah, he's kind of remarkably wise. Yeah, for exactly. His age. Yeah, and he's not wrong about anything he's no. saying. Well, he's about to be super, not wrong, but not as predictive of where he probably yes. go because he's saying, "Well, you listen to him." Like, like the ghetto or nothing. Because when kids come to my concert, when they come to my concert, I want them to, I want life's pressure to be taken off their backs. You know what I'm saying? And not put on their backs. Mm-hmm. You know that's why they come to my show. They be having fun, hard as hell. That's what I want them to do. Not uh-huh. rap about the ghetto and life. Yeah. They don't want to hear that. You know, so it's not necessary to for rap to have messages like Grandmaster Flash. No, that's unnecessary. Why? Why would a kid want to pay a ticket to come and hear how bad life is? Uh, <laughs> and then gangster rap happened like two years <laughs> yes. later. And then it changed. nobody wants to listen to raps about the ghetto. It's and never gonna like, happen. That's gonna be the biggest thing in the world for like <laughs> five, six solid years. But, you can't be right on everything. But it's not like well, LL did. He did fade it away a little bit. I know we weren't supposed to call it a comeback, but it was. Yeah, <laughs> but then it was huge. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. was never really off. He was no, really no, 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 off. no, 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 no. But he wasn't like the biggest thing in the world no. when gangster rap was going. No, on. but I mean, his longevity—he had a string out. Yeah, he's still though, around. Huge. Yeah, yeah. 
In fact, I mean, like, because I'm a little younger and I wasn't tuned to hip hop at all in the 80s. My first memory of LL Cool J was Mama Said Knock You Out. Yeah. Which so, starts with him saying, don't call the comeback. And I was just kind of like, all right, because I don't know who you <laughs> I are. I mean, that <laughs> album is a classic. I love yeah. that album. But, I mean, he had Walk Like a Panther, which had Big Old Bud in it, which yeah. was before. I guess yeah. maybe that wasn't as big. And that was 88 or 89. And then it was that, before yeah. that was bigger and deafer. And then the first one was radio. So, Well, my sentimental favorite is uh, Doing It. Doing It's a which Jam. came out when I was in like eighth grade or something. Doing It's a Jam. Oh, Mr. my God. Mr. Smith. It was like 95. I love that. I love Phenomenon. That's one of my big ones. Yeah. yeah. It's a great, he had a so lot yeah, of He's a legend. Ones. Yeah. Uh, okay. The next clip. I'm very is a, excited about this. This is a little bit of a left turn. Yeah. Uh, but this is just me getting to talk about what I'd like to talk about. Yeah. You wouldn't think this would show up on a Def Jam episode. I mean, I knew because well, I know but why. But you know why. Yes. This is the Bangles. Yes. The, were the Bangles a Def Jam recording artist? No. But. They never were. But this is Hazy Shade a winner. Yep. Which, why don't you explain it? Because you know, you know why. I know why. Because this is one of, uh, Def Jam did the soundtrack to the 80s classic Less Than Zero. Yep. And uh, they had the Bangles record this cover of Hazy Shade of Winter. I cannot remember who the original Simon Hazy- and Garfunkel. Was it really? Yeah. You didn't know that? No. I knew it was a cover. Yeah. I don't remember who it was. When I first heard this, I didn't know it was a cover. When I, like, when oh, I was yeah. a kid, I had no idea. Well, this is they, a great song. They, yeah. Well, it's, it's they recorded this specifically for the Less Than Zero soundtrack. Yes. Because Rick Rubin wanted them to, I don't, he like he, he didn't pursue them as a Def Jam artist, no. but I guess he wanted them to record something for yeah. the album, and they did. But they'd been doing it since early in their career, like live. Oh, they, okay. They'd been doing the song. This, oh, interesting. And, but they never cut it for one of their albums, so they cut it for the soundtrack. And they had just had, uh, you know, their big success with, uh, is it Different Light is the album? Yeah. With Walk Like an Egyptian yeah. and Manic Monday and yeah. everything. But they didn't like the way that that album was produced because mm-hmm. we've talked about them before on the yeah. show and how early in their career they were part of the Paisley Underground in L.A. and they were a lot more jangly, yeah. a little more indie. And Different Light is like so polished yeah. and so 80s. And they kind of thought like, well, it doesn't really sound like us. And Rick Rubin produced this record like he did for every song yeah. on that soundtrack. And they were wicked happy with this because they were like, this song more than anything else like that we've had a hit with sounds like how we sound like. That's interesting because I remember hearing this going this sounds different from the Bangles on here yeah. but I liked it just as much. It's a good song. And they, and like Michael Steele was kind of like well we kind of wish that we had, this is what we'd sounded like. Earlier on? Yeah. Oh but, wow. Um, this is so a great this song. this is one of the again another video where like half of the video is footage from the movie. I mean and then the other half is just the Bangles being the hottest movie in the world. Yes. This movie was is is like burned in my brain. I've even I've read the book. The book is much worse. I've never seen Less Than Zero, and I got into Brett Easton Ellis brief, briefly in college. Yeah, because I saw American Psycho, and then yes. I ended up reading American Psycho, and then I read Rules of Attraction. Yeah, saw Rules of Attraction. Did you read Less Than Zero? Never read it either. Less Than Zero is brutal. Yeah, and the movie is. It softens it, it, but I didn't know that as a 17-year-old. Yeah. And when I saw the movie, I was like, oh my god. Hey, same thing with American Psycho. Yeah. That movie might as well be a Disney movie compared to the book. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I distinctly saw this movie, I remember this, the night before I was supposed to take my SATs. And I just remember going, how am I going to take these SATs? (laughs) How am I going to... I just... The Robert Downey Jr. is amazing in this. Yeah. James Spader kills it. Yeah. And then, of course, 
a wonderful Jamie Gertz and uh, Andrew McCarthy, right? Yeah, and he's good yeah. in it. Yeah. He's good in it. Uh, but this was like this album has a ton of good songs on it. Yeah, and it's oh, I mean, Orange Juice is on it, Orange and uh, LL. Some rappers are on it, and it has uh, Slayers on it. Yeah, because they so he was. Uh, oh, we'll he, talk about yeah. that. LL uh, did <laughs> going back to Cali for this, which is one of my favorite LL yeah. songs. Yeah, and you'll hate this. Uh, you know what's on this album? What? A cover of Rock and Roll All Night, the Kiss song by who? Poison. I, you know what? I'd rather listen to Poison. Do it. <laughs> really? I really don't like Kiss. That's funny. And there's a little bit of space in my heart for Poison. I get, it's, it's a good version. Yeah. It's a fine version. Yeah. Like, Poison sucks, but at least Poison doesn't take themselves as seriously no, as they know Kiss. they're clowns. Take, yeah. yeah. Kiss is the biggest clown band in the world, almost literally, but they don't seem to know it. Yeah. I agree. You know what I mean? Poison, Poison knew they were clowns. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, eh, this, this hair metal thing is popular. Yeah. And uh, if we participate, we'll get to do a lot of drugs for free yeah. and get laid a whole like, lot. Even that CC, I think it's CC DeVille, he was like, I'm yeah. not the best guitarist. I know that. Oh, no, yeah. He's like, I don't care. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was this was the big hit off it, I think. It's um, really good. Yeah. It's still super polished and, and really glossy in 87, but yeah. uh, how different is the... Oh, uh, no, uh, it Sunday doesn't day. rock. It's, it's a it's Simon a, Garfunkel. Okay, song. yeah. Interesting, because I've never heard the Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, no, they made a rock and roll version of it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. The, bang- uh, the Bengals are just the best. Brings me back. That really brings me I back. I love Susanna Hoff so much. Oh, she's the greatest. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that was our dip into the Less Than Zero. I'm so glad, because Less Than Zero is burned in my brain. Got to talk about a little bit of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have another clip here, because we have to talk about the Beastie Boys. I mean, there's... It'd be stupid not to. Yeah, we yeah. but we don't have to explain the Beastie Boys to anybody. No. This is a long clip. We're not going to watch the whole thing. This is their entire appearance on the Joan Rivers show in 1987. Oh, God. Uh, but we'll, we'll only watch a little bit of it mm. because they went on the Joan Rivers to promote License to Ill. So we're going to listen to Joan Rivers introduce the band. Then they're going to do Fight for Your Right, but we're going to skip that. Because okay. we don't need to hear no. Fight for Your Right to Party. But then we're going to watch the interview. And then after the interview, they do "It's Time to Get Ill," oh, which is a weird choice because more than half of the songs on "License to Ill" were singles, and that wasn't one of them. That was an album cut. Yeah, that's right. It's the last song on the album, and it wasn't a single. Yeah, but they do it live on the. On, oh, I can't wait to on see this that. late night show. And and Joan Rivers is great interviewing them because she clearly like doesn't know who they are, but loves them because why? Because she's. A smart-ass Jew from Brooklyn. Oh, yeah, that's right. And they're all smart-ass Jews from Brooklyn. So she's kind of like, all right. It's like she could be their mom. Yeah. She's you know like, I, mean? I know who she's you like, are. She's like, I don't know you, but I know you. I know the type. I I grew up with the type. Yeah, because yeah. she was a rebel. So I think yeah. she's like, I see myself in these assholes. Oh, that's great. I forgot, you know what I mean? I forgot that she had her own show. That's right. This but she's great. But she also just keeps going like, what do your parents think? <laughs> like, she doesn't cut them any slack, and it's great. And they're just being there. You know, this is licensed to ill era, so they're in their persona where we're like uh, we're misogynist dicks yeah. yeah and they're like really giving her a hard time kind yeah. of but but she's just she, they can't beat Joan no Ray. she's not gonna fold yeah oh my god I have not seen I, I watched the show as a kid yeah even though it only lasted for like a year right? yeah this is this is why um, Arsenio Hall got his show yeah and it's also why Johnny Carson iced her out forever yeah. because yeah I mean, it even, it's the, the Arsenio set almost. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, the other guests that night were, if, if you didn't hear them, Sally Jesse Raphael, Gene Hackman, <laughs> and the Beastie Boys. Gene Hackman. <laughs> Here she is with a copy of License to Oh, my God. My next guests have previously been, refer- been referred to as a bunch of loudmouth rats and people, kids that stomp around the stage like awkward thugs. Well, to me, I just like to think of them as my guys. They're <laughs> just a bunch of simple kids. Their newest album is called License to Kill. And it went platinum after only eight weeks. Did she just License say License to Kill? Yeah, but listen to the audience. They're, listen, because <laughs> this, this is great. Went platinum after only eight weeks. Life is a kill, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's kill, son. <laughs> <laughs> that, well, I'm t- that, I think that was I think that was uh, Mike D or, or Ad Rock or something. Tell you, I got my stupid contacts in. Hold on. Okay, sorry about this. Their album is called License to Ill. That's a stupid name for an album. Oh, she's great. That's a stupid name for an album. Did you hear it? Did you hear it? I hear a dose of jet. I hear a dose of jealousy. Yeah, that was MCA. Off stage. Anyhow, they're back to embark on their first major headlining tour across the United States. She looks great, doesn't she? She does. I love that 80s outfit. Yeah, those 80s glasses. Yeah. We'll, we'll just skip ahead yeah. past Fight for Your Right to Party, which we've all heard enough times in our lives, and is the least representative Beastie yes. Boys song anyway. There we go. Look at them, they're just kids. They're like 20? Yeah, that's about right, yeah. Mike D in his Mike D costume? Yeah, never changed, though. She invites MCA to sit behind her desk and he takes her up on it. And she's going to interview them from the guest chair. Which is Adam, which is Adam, which is Michael? I love that right away. She's like, what are your real names? (laughs) Give me your real Adam, Adam, and Michael. Your given names? Not even Mike. Michael. Michael. Yeah. He's Adam. Oh, she gives zero fucks. It's great. It's funny you should ask that. Because in actuality, the three of us have been working on a kind of a concerto through the Juilliard Music School. Which one of you did? Shut up. Don't do that. One of you got accepted at Harvard. I got expected to. I got expected to attend many institutions, Harvard. I don't know if that's true, but I know he went to like kind of a Tony Prep school. So is that actually true that Mike D was accepted to Harvard? I don't know. I believe it. I would not be shocked. Yeah. Like they weren't like street kids. Yeah. I mean, they were like smart kids who grew up in artistic communities. Right. That apparently were like given free reign of New York in the 80s, which yeah. is insane. <laughs> yeah. They were spoiled rich kids. Yeah. And they were like, but their kid, their parents were all like artists and were like, yeah, go explore New York. And they're like, see ya. Right. I'm still waiting to hear from Harvard and Yellen Brown, as a matter of fact. And you? I, I don't wait for my I've been English. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. 
You know what's funny is MCA is, seems to be positioning himself as like the dumb one of the three For dumb this ones. Moment, yeah, and later he'd kind of become like the more yeah, the more introspective, visionary yeah. and introspective of them. Mm-hmm. But here he's like, I'm the biggest. We're all douchebags, but I'm king douchebag. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be the biggest. That's my douche. character. <laughs> I'm playing that. Yeah. I'm enjoying you because this is not my house. <laughs> She's great. Yeah. Like they think, ooh, we're gonna be smart asses, but you can't outsmart no. ass Joan Rivers. She's gonna own you. I thought we should discuss that, Joan. It's, uh, it's not, it's not for the FCC. <laughs> uh, we're just like old friends, you know. We know like one is from Brooklyn. You are from Brooklyn. Yes. Brooklyn. Oh okay. yeah. Brooklyn's in the house. So two of you from New York, right? Jim Mokes. So he was from like Brooklyn the Heights, so it's right by. So how did you meet? Did you meet like a club? Did you meet at music school? Did you meet? We went through kindergarten together. We've known each other since we were little kids. Which is good. Now what's happened? Three boys are all very young. How old are you? I'm 19. 19. I'm 12. Okay, you look great. 12. Don't try so hard, MC. Yeah, he's trying real hard. He's obnoxious. I mean, they dropped they dropped this whole attitude yeah. after that album. It was like real later, fast. we're very. Openly apologetic yeah. and embarrassed about this yeah. whole thing because they basically said like they created these personas basically to make fun of this type of dude, mm. but then you know you become what you the, yeah exactly what you embody and, and they, they were like yeah we kind of became the misogynist douchebags we were making fun of yeah especially when you get that much success that young yeah you're gonna still you're gonna be a little douchey no matter what right. and then when you're you know embodying a character that's yeah. douchey. It's, it's twofold. Like, Fight for Your Right is clearly and intentionally a parody of the attitude that it espouses. Mm-hmm. Yes. But they admitted, like, yeah, we kind of were genuinely assholes at a certain point. Exactly. Because, yeah. because we got famous. Yeah. Early, but it's yeah, well, I know about Brooklyn. Yeah, it would be a great bar mitzvah, so it's okay. But let me ask you. What's changed in your lives? I mean, I mean like, like we've said before, it literally could have ended here. Well, yeah. You could have been like, remember those guys, Beastie Boys? Did that it would have been a novelty song. act. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure all three of them thought that's what would happen. Oh, yeah. I'm sure, like, well, this is it. Yeah. If I can, I just want to cut in here and say that I love these guys and I've grown up with them and I think they're great and I just love them. How are your parents? Let me ask you. How are your parents taking all this? Because it must be incredible for them to think, here's a kid that sat on the house with blue ice cubes. You know, you know what I'm saying? None of you look like I would pick you for success. I mean, I think... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she's so good. You know, if you wouldn't be the one... I would say, oh, this one's a yuppie type. Now, your parents... Must <laughs> but he is, and yes. she's just reading it for film. Oh, my God, she's so she's like, good. She's like, I know that you're well-to-do, yes. Michael. I know exactly who you are. <laughs> Six of the happiest people in the world, because it was this 11 words, I, they, they must be just... Joan, they tell us backstage, be nice to Joan, yeah, she's but, a nice woman, don't offend her, and we come out here, and what are you trying to do? I'm trying <laughs> to find out. Yeah, she's ripping you apart. Yeah. She's Joan Rivers. How many parents yeah. taking this? Because you guys are coping with it and having fun. Well, How do your parents say? Not people would know this, but I'm, my is Frank Zappa, as a matter of fact, I'm Dweezo Munion and me, it's like... <laughs> They're trying so hard to be funny. I know. Really yeah. Yeah. Yes. Although, Ed Rock does this thing that I know so many douche guys do, this thing... 
Oh, I didn't even notice yeah. him doing that. That what was a thing. What is that? that? Now, when I saw it in college, it was a way to like pack, pack cigarettes, pack your dip. Oh, dip. Oh, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah. Pack your dip, and a lot of guys would do it without oh. the dip. It's so fucking obnoxious. Yeah. All right, now they're gonna do this time, good, time to get ill. This is good. Time to get ill. I give it. I, I still don't like this album. This is good. We got one go-go dancer. <laughs> Just one in the corner, yep. bear, which is great. One DJ. Like, I love the Beastie Boys, but if I were a parent in 1987, I would have just been like, what is yeah. going on? Are these ass <laughs> I mean, I, when they first came out, I didn't like them. Yeah. And then Paul Revere came out, and I was like, oh, okay. Uh... And then it was when Check Your Head came out. I was like, oh my God, I've been wrong about the Beast about Beastie Boys. Same, but for me, like, I just, because I came up in the 90s, yeah. I started with that, and then I went back to License to Ill. And even then, the good stuff on there, I didn't get right away, yeah. because it seemed like too old school, and yes. I had to kind of rediscover it later. Yeah. Yeah, they really, I yeah. give them credit for growing. For me, the Beastie Boys start with Sabotage. Ah, uh, yeah. Which, My like, God. fight for your right. Like, that's not hip-hop at all. That's a straight-up yeah. rock song. It's a straight-up great song. But it rules. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. It's one of my favorite Beastie beast songs. But, yeah, I start with No Communication and Check Your Head. Yeah. And one of the big album releases I remember from high school that was highlight was when Hello Nasty came. And I uh, still love Intergalactic. Hello Nasty. Intergalactic is great. Yeah. Love Hello Nasty. Um... Yeah, Check Your Head was more. I was like, oh, shit, they're good. Yeah. Like, Paul's Boutique is more posthumously. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is really intricate and good. Yeah. At the time, I was like, well, I like it. This is this weird Mr. Ed Yeah, symbol. they're just so fucking odd. sampling whatever. Yeah. But, like, you know, the groundwork for Intergalactic is already all here. Yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, they, this they was, got there. This was their style. Yeah, they got the there. for your right, yeah. I like to think that they did this on the show because even though it wasn't a single, this was their favorite, maybe. They were just like, we're just oh, going to yeah. do yeah. Time to Get Ill. I can see that. Like, this, this is our favorite line. Yeah. Probably because they were sick of uh, all the other ones. I'm sure they were sick of doing fight. Because uh, yeah, because because license came out in '86, mm-hmm. and this episode of the Joan Rivers show was '87. Yeah. So at this point, they'd probably been promoting it for a while. Yeah, you know. But I'd love that clip because I love Joan interviewing them. She's just handles She's them. No, yes, exactly. Yeah. They're trying to do their shtick. And it's Joan Rivers. She's just going to handle the shit out. <laughs> yeah, she's like, you've done nothing yeah. I haven't seen <laughs> right, in exactly. the comedy club. Yeah, these children. <laughs> like, yeah. she's literally like, it's like their, their funny mom yeah. who just knows their bullshit. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's uh, so great. It makes me yeah. love Joan Rivers. Yeah. All right, uh, it's time for one of your clips. Oh, We're going to skip to 1989. Yeah, 88, 89, yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 89. The Cactus 89. album. Cactus album. This is a wonderful segue because yeah. this is... Third base. Hell yeah. I love third base. There's more white rappers. More great. white rappers. Well, not totally, but MC Search. 
MC Search and Pete Nice. Yeah. The DJ the Richie DJ. Rich. Yep. Was, uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, MC Search desperately tried to get into Beastie Boys. It, did he? Yeah. Okay. Well, I Early know he's, he's Jewish, right? He's Jewish. They're both. Yeah, he's Jewish. They're is both he from, from Brooklyn York. or Queens. He's or? from uh, what's it called? Rockaway. Oh, Rockaway. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's from okay. Rockaway. Pete Pete Nice is from not from Rockaway. I think he's from somewhere else, maybe Brooklyn or something. But uh, MC Search desperately, desperately tried to get into the early Beastie Boys. Really? Okay. And they were just like, nah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were they were a punk band first, yeah. and they were already a trio. And like, yeah. Yeah, and I didn't know this. I thought third base started out because MC Search and Pete Nice were friends. No, they were like brought together. Oh, okay. This uh, producer, who's actually a big producer through Def Jam, named Sam Sever, uh, was like, "Hey, you two should meet." Yeah, and so they met, and they're like, "Oh, this is cool. We should we should do our own thing." Well, for, forgive me for being reductive, but I have to admit I don't know a ton about third base, and when I think of third base, I think of oh yeah, th- MC Search. And two other guys. Yeah. Like, it's, it's right. It's mostly MC Surge. Yeah. Uh, and then Pete Nice. There really isn't a third in third base. It's their DJ. DJ. But that was, that was the thing. That was the At thing. At the time, it was, yeah. you have a DJ and they're a member, but, yeah. but they don't rap, so. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but this is, this is my actually favorite. Uh, this is off the Cactus album. This is their second single after Gas Face called Step Into the AM. Step Into the AM. Yes. Uh, it's really good and they actually sample you'll hear the sample of a Beastie Boys song that we just heard yeah the uh, it, uh, what, what's the time yeah. sample yeah. Yeah. <laughs> MC Search he looks like a Jonah Hill character yeah. <laughs> he can actually dance though he is good he's a yeah. good dancer he looks goofy but he's a really but he's a strong dancer he's not only white and goofy but he's got the, the nerdy glasses too yes. which add an element yeah of. and he can really dance yeah oh it takes me back yeah. it's weird too because their dynamic is MC Search is kind of a clown and he's gonna dance yeah and Pete Nice always just kind of sat oh, yeah he never moved around much and just kind of like sauntered around stage because he's cigar. the cool one yes yeah. but the dynamic worked fairly well yeah and um, you know they had this album off of Def Jam which was uh, the Cactus album and then um, their second album I think it was called Derelicts of Dialect yeah that's the one that had Pop Goes the Weasel but yeah that's the yeah which is the one where he made fun of Vanilla Ice right sampling Sledgehammer but that's one of those deals where, like, the follow-up album had a bigger hit, but the album's not as classic exactly. as the first album. Yeah, exactly. Cactus album is really good. Yeah. Pop Goes the Weasel was the bigger hit. Yeah. Which I was always like, you're making fun of Vanilla Ice, but you're doing the same thing by. But saying, they're better. I mean, they, they do it better. Yeah, way better. And they admit it. I like that Surge has a great high top fade. Yes. Because, and I want to be careful about how I phrase it, but. Jewish people frequently have very kinky hair. Yes. So it makes it possible, I guess, it to get a high pop top fade yes, if you have. I'm not going to say that word, but I'll say a Jewish afro. Yes. No, that's, that's yeah, fair. Yeah. That's fair. So he's got a dope fade. He's got a dope fade, man. They, um, but but the, the carved shit oh, yeah, in the back, that, that look hasn't aged well. No. The and designs you, don't look good. And you have to maintain that because after a couple of days, it gets all unruly. Yeah. So you got to yes. keep doing it. It's almost a waste no of time. You, you, I'm starting to see more and more high top fades again. Oh, 
not a ton, but yeah. I'll see people with them. But I never see like the designs yeah. or the lines and all the the extra shit so that's unnecessary. Shit. Yeah, so much shit. So they did these two albums, and then they broke up. Yeah, and then MC Search had actually a, a good solo album called Return of the Products, I think. Yeah, with a song called Here It Comes, which is a great song. And then it just, Pete Nice and DJ Richie Rich had an album that did nothing. Yeah. And then Search became like a producer, hosted a show on VJ1. The White Rapper Show. It was a funny show. It was a great reality really show. Funny. It was very tongue in cheek, but yes. they had real rappers. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was very It funny. was like making the band sort of that type of yes. thing where they had a group of young white rappers trying yeah. to be the next. You know, yeah. they would eliminate one every and it episode. It was really or, kind of funny. Yeah. And Pete Nice kind of quit the music biz and became a uh, he was really into baseball became a baseball memorabilia expert oh. and like has a shop in like Jersey or somewhere in the suburbs of New York that's cool yeah, yeah. where he like he like sells memorabilia and knows about memorabilia I like the simplicity of his rap name. Pete Nice. Pete Nice. Yeah, that's all it is. It's a great one. Yeah, it makes sense. You don't have to. You don't have have to to figure out like what's MC Search mean. I don't know. Pete Nice. His name's Pete. I think his last name is Nash. Oh. So there's like, well, Nice is fine. Sure. Um, There's a band. There's a group in here that was part of of, uh, Third Base called uh, KMD. Which you oh, don't I, like, dude? Yeah, I love do you know Beach Buzz. Yeah, I think because they're very tribe called Questy. Yes, they're great. Oh, yeah. I'm so glad you know them. Well, um, uh, uh, MF Doom. Yeah, is, is was is, originally is in KMD. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you know that. That's yeah, great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, KMD was actually really good. They, yeah. I wish they were a little bigger. I'm, I mean, search reminds me of someone that I can't place who it is, but it's I don't know. Yeah, you could almost kind of go. You could probably fit into Beastie Boys. Yeah, you'd be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe he wasn't a big enough asshole at the I, time to roll with them. They clowned him, and I can't remember what song for dancing around. Yeah. So there's a little minor beef, and then yeah. and then uh, they came back and clowned them. And, yeah. You know. Uh, but yeah, no, MC Search is cool. Yeah, I don't think anyone. Has they were legit. No one yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. "Oh, the vanilla ice." They were straight. No, up yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Introduce this next oh, one. This is also from 1989. Now, yes, third base I'd heard of, wasn't super familiar with, but I knew Pop Goes the Wheels. Yeah. I know who MC Search is. Never heard of this next artist, Nikki D. Um, I remember her. She had two big songs. She's uh, Bill is the first female rapper signed by uh, Def, Def Jam. Jam. Yeah. yeah. And you'll hear this, uh, I think she was produced by some public enemy. Because you'll hear this song letting off steam and you're like, holy shit, this is a public enemy song. Oh, okay. Uh, I'd actually Flavor Flav guests on it. Well, public enemy eventually, they weren't Def Jam. Yeah, they went to Jeff Jam. They went to Jeff Jam. So I think they helped in the Bomb Squad probably get the song. I mean, when we said I was naming the holy trio of Def Jam, I didn't include them only because they're sort of like the second wave. They came a little later. They got signed later. Yeah. Uh, And this is her first single called Letting Off Steam. All right. And you can hear it go, holy shit, this is... Because now it's yes. Public Enemy era. So now this is the Hall of Fame of uh, yeah. Def Jam. Oh, Slick Rick recorded? Yeah, it? later on. Jam, right. I think Children's Story is a Def Jam. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so Public Enemy. You can hear this, the hip-hop evolving yeah. Yeah. from the mid-80s to the late-80s. Yes. 
So she's got oh, that. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, she's got a little bit of that uh, Queen, Queen Latifah. Latifah coming hard. Yeah, yeah. So this was her first thing. She only had two big songs. There was this one, but uh, which was medium big. She had a second one, which is more radio accessible, called Daddy's Little Girl. Yeah. Which is kind of like a social political song. Um, it's a, not softer, but it's not as hard as this. Yeah. And that was her bigger hit. Um, I like this one better, which is why I put it on. Because it's a little harder. She has balls. Oh, yeah. She's wearing her Tims. Yeah. Yeah, this whole vibe is very yes. public enemy. Yeah. <laughs> Got the dancers, the ninja dancers. Yeah. And, um... I guess now, I, you know I love this uh, happy ending. You know, she had a music career. It ended. Now she's a marketing manager for Fat Farm. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah okay. And I'm like, fuck yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, she's good. It's a little by the numbers, but it's good. Yeah, it's great, though. Yeah. It's great. It's like, you know what? I transitioned to a, a career, a different career. That's great. Yeah. Because I wasn't going to be a rapper forever. Right. But I do distinctly remember going, oh, this is a big deal. There's a female rapper on Def Jam. Yeah. And they're like, oh, she's hard. Because it was a, it was around the time of Queen Latifah. Maybe a little before. Yeah, yeah, this is where actually might have been a little before as well. Um, but yeah, to be this hard too was like a big deal. Yeah. What was that style of, of cap? And I had one of Miami's offense one where it was the team's name written. Yes. You know what I mean? I that was, was everywhere in hip hop at the time. Not what she's wearing? What she was wearing. She had, I don't oh, know. It, yeah. It's like a painter's cap? No, no, no. I'm talking about. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I it was don't a know certain what that style is. Of, yes. of sports caps, like baseball hats. It was every sport, and it was just the style where it would have the team's name written in a certain script. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yes. They, they, in the early 90s, yeah. everyone wore those. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, like that. And yeah. that's leather, too. Well, hers is leather. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like starter jackets. You had to have that hat to match. You had to have the match. Yeah. I never got a starter jacket. I never had a starter but jacket. But every kid in my class put me had one. It was that thing. I've, I think I've talked about it before. You couldn't just have a starter jacket. You had to have the Charlotte Hornets starter jacket. Why? In, I think it, it was just the colors. It had to be. Because, well, I guess Larry Johnson was playing at the time. He was a big star. Yeah. But they weren't they were a super team by the time you were in high school. No, but that was the thing about athletic fashions in the early 90s in general. It was not about the teams. That's it was so about funny. the colors. And it just became it just became a fad. It was cool to wear, dude. I remember in like fourth grade, you know, you'd go to school, you'd put your lunchbox in yep. the cubby, and then you'd hang up your jacket on the peg. <laughs> and the closet just was half full of the same starter Charlotte Jordan Charlotte Hornets jacket. That's so funny because to me, I'd be like, "Well, you're Rhode Island. You would have a starter jacket for the Celtics." Nobody had a Celtics anything because it has an ugly logo and ugly colors. That people don't know basketball. It was, it was either you get the clothes because of the colors or you get the teams who are good at the time. So I also remember a lot of Cowboys shit and Niners shit. Was there a Bulls stuff in New England? I mean, yeah, a little bit, but I don't remember Bulls starter jackets that much. Because okay. red and white is boring. I guess, I guess the It was blue. just the color scheme of that teal and you know purple it is, is very... That, 
It's that late the nineties of like neon yeah. and everything. Yeah. yeah, it was fashionable. The mm-hmm. color scheme. It didn't matter that it was that the Charlotte sense. Hornets. Yes, it's just they had a cool logo. Yeah, and the colors were very nineteen ninety one. We're gonna start a fashion podcast. Yeah, <laughs> this is literally all I know about fashion. <laughs> I'll talk about starter jackets. <laughs> That's all about day. it all day. Yes. Uh, okay, we got to talk about them. <laughs> I we just got to talk title. about them. We got to talk about them. You have to sit through this. <laughs> I I was like, if we're doing a Def Jam episode. No, you have to because that was a. They're a big it was part a, of Def yes. Jam. Yes. Okay. In 1986, uh, Def Jam is the biggest thing in hip hop. And then Rick Rubin, I guess, wants to expand yes. the label's horizons. And he signs a certain band for their major label debut. Mm-hmm. They'd had two albums to that point. They were going to put out their third album on a major label. A lot of different labels courted them. Mm-hmm. Rick Rubin courted them. And at first they were like, that's a hip hop label. Why yeah. are we going to, why are we going to record for a hip hop label? But when they met Rick Rubin, they liked his attitude so much. He was the one who just felt like the least, least like a suit mm-hmm. to them. And he seemed like he genuinely, and again, he was a rock guy first. Yeah, that's true. He wasn't just a hip hop head. He just likes music. Yeah. He's one of those guys and they liked his energy and Slayer decided, all right, Def Jam it is. Yeah. And they put out Rain and Blood on. <laughs> It's confusing because the song's called "Raining Blood." Yeah, the album is "Rain," like a king's uh, rain. Rain I see what they're doing in there. blood. Yeah, and I, I know you probably don't know. No, "Rain and Blood" is like their classic album, and "Raining Blood" is like their signature. Is this song. what they're known for? Yeah. Oh, maybe. that's great. That's off a of Def Jam. Like even cat. Like I'm not a huge. I'm yeah. not, I've never carved Slayer <laughs> into my arm the way that a Slayer fan yeah. would. But even casual fans like me know "Raining Blood." This is. Did they have big hits on their lap before this albums? Do you know what their big hit was? It, which they hated was because Rick made them record a song for the Less Than Zero soundtrack, which they didn't want to do. They did a cover of Inagata Devita. That's right. And they remember. thought it was whack, yeah. but he was like, you're doing it. <laughs> you're doing it. You signed the contracts and now you're doing it's it. It's got to be done. But that was sort of a hit for them. Okay. And they, because Columbia was, was Def Jam's di- uh, distributor. Yeah. And the album sort of satanic. Yeah, <laughs> the the they like could, didn't get the advertising push behind it, and like the distributor, like Columbia tried to kind of bury the album a little bit, but just oh. on the strength of Slayer fans, it still made like the Billboard 200. Oh wow! Uh, but it didn't have any real singles. But this is like the classic. This is what they're known for. Yeah, and uh, so we're just gonna watch the video for Raining Blood. Is this the live? Because it fucking rules. The video is live, but oh, it's like, yeah, it. okay. it's a live performance, but with the, yeah. I don't, maybe I know this because I don't really know any Slayer. I mean, I Wait feel a like minute. everyone has Slayer inside their hearts. <laughs> Isn't Slayer off the Judgment Night soundtrack? Maybe. I mean, this is just pure thrash yeah. metal. This is as, as thrash as it gets, man. This is, this is for me and not for you. <laughs> Because we don't, we don't bang our heads enough on the no. show. We, yeah. And this rules. And I just love that they were on Def Jam, which I didn't even know until I was putting this episode together. I knew they were because of the book that I read. Ah. And then I think I remember, you know, um, Rick kind of left Def Jam a little early. 
In like '88. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was. It wasn't. I don't think it was acrimonious. I think it was more. I want to do this music. Yeah. And so they're like, okay, well, we'll do. You'll do your own thing, yeah. and that'll be it. The chapter ends. Yes. But the, the story doesn't. You know. I mean. I'll let this play a little bit before I bring this up. Hell yeah, you will. Wow, this is thrashy as fuck. I mean, they're playing a huge stadium. Yeah, I mean, for metal fans, this is the band. <laughs> like, this is... This, uh, this is the band where people, like, metal fans who are like, Metallica's bullshit. <laughs> Slayer. Is Slayer harder than Megadeth? Yes. Okay. Interesting. Is Slayer harder than Sabbath? Oh, yeah. Well, okay. Sabbath is almost just kind of a hard rock Okay, band. I guess you. All right. But all right. Metallica and Megadeth are also both thrash bands. Okay. And Slayer's thrash. Slayer, yeah. But oh they're God. way, way, they're way better this than is, those other... This is... Yeah. Metallica and Megadeth are like Disney Slayer. <laughs> Does it have to be this fast? It's thrash! It's that's down that's down the it? point of thrash, is Ooh. the speed. Speed level. Is speed metal the same thing as thrash? Not technically, but it's two halves of the oh, yeah. I'm not a metal yeah. expert, but, but I know the Slayer fucking yeah. rules, dude. <laughs> it's funny, too, because Rick Rubin kind of left to do this stuff. Yeah. And then Russ Staple, Russ is pretty much gone, too. Yeah. Now. And then uh, in the very first uh, documentary, uh, they interviewed Lyra Cohen. Who was a president for a long time? Yeah, I think he left now. There's still Def Jam. Jay Z was the president yeah, for Jay-Z a few years. Not like it's, it's a huge company. It's still. a huge yeah. company still with huge the comedy jams. Yeah, the poetry jam with everything. Yeah, and but but the main players of it are pretty much gone it's, now. Yeah, it's just a conglomerate. Yeah, now. It's just, yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. So here's a fun fact about Rain and Blood that I want to talk about. The cover, the the artist who painted the cover art for Rain and Blood, his name's Larry Carroll. Uh-huh. He's a painter and illustrated. He not only painted four Slayer album covers, he also created illustrations that have been featured in New York Times. Oh, wow. Uh, Los Angeles Times, Village Voice, Newsweek, Spin Magazine, and in the 90s, a now defunct music magazine that was called Ray Gun. Yay! Which I didn't know about until after we started this podcast. Yay! That's uh, awesome. And I know about him because I was acquainted for a little while there with his daughter. How? When I was doing improv. Oh, no way! His, I knew his daughter, Rory. Not really in touch with her anymore. Yeah. Very beautiful young woman who uh, I was talking to her once. After I'd known her for a little while, and she, I think she had the sort of thing where, like, you know, she didn't want to drop it in conversation that her dad's Larry Carroll, the artist mm-hmm. who painted the Slayer albums. Yeah. Because I think when she was meeting dudes, it was like, I don't want that to, to be the first yeah, thing. Yeah, I don't want to lead with that. And, and it was kind of like, I remember her telling me in kind of a way where, like, she's rehearsed revealing this information <laughs> to dudes. Yeah. And, and, like, dudes like me. Yeah. And kind of like, all right, is this, is this... Is this dork going to be cool yeah, about is this? this? Get or is he just is he going to start making the sign of the horns and going like Slayer <laughs> in front of me? Yeah, and I had to fight real hard not to do that. God bless you for fighting that. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think I played it cool, but yeah. I, was, I, I mean, I still was like enthusiastic. Like yeah. that's awesome. Your yeah. dad did the cover for Rain and Blood, but I wasn't like, Ugh, and yeah. then started like t- take out my carving pocket knife, pocket knife, carving the Slayer logo in oh, my arm. But but that was awesome. Is uh, Slayer still around? Yes. 
So they still like tour and yeah, there are two founding members left. One left the band a while ago. One of the guitarists died mm-hmm. of he's an alcoholic. He died yeah. of cirrhosis in like 2013. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the bass player slash lead singer and the other guitar player are still the original. Oh, okay. still, yeah. Or was the bassist the like driving force because he was the singer? Uh, you know, I don't know enough about the band to know. I think. I think Kerry, the the guitar player, like writes the songs oh, okay. more, and and bass player sings them. No, oh, okay, kind of oh, like okay. Iron Maiden setup. Oh wait, no, no, that's the opposite. In Maiden, the bass player writes all the songs but doesn't sing them. Is Iron Maiden thrash? No. Okay. No. Oh, dude, we <laughs> we, we, we got to do a metal episode. Do a metal episode. I need to school you a little. Do a metal bit. episode. Yeah. I'm down. Is Iron Maiden thrash? I have no problem doing the metal. No, we'll talk about Iron Maiden. Cinderella's somewhere. thrash, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, do yeah. a metal one. That'd be fun. Yeah. I think you can. I mean, you know what Metallica sounds yeah, like, and you, know you heard Metallica. Slayer. Yeah. That's the sound of thrash. It. Yeah, eighties, eighties thrash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Okay, I, yeah, I just love that. We're doing a Def Jam episode. You think it's going to be all hip-hop, and all of a sudden, here's Slayer. Slayer out yeah. of nowhere. But let's take another hard left turn for oh, our yeah. last clip, the opposite of Slayer. Yes. Uh, fast forward. I mean, we spent this whole episode in the 80s. Yeah. Let's jump ahead to 95, 6? 97. 97. 97, yes. For another soundtrack. Yes, Foxy Brown. Right. Who uh, was a Def Jam recording artist. She was a big deal for a hot minute. Hot minute was huge. Yeah. And I, I, to me, I was a teen at the time. Yeah. I remember when she was a big deal. But it kind of seemed like she came first and then later Lil Kim came around and sort of... Yeah. That's took her off close. the map a little bit. Yes. Yeah. I, I ride harder for Foxy Brown than I do Lil Kim. I like oh. Lil Kim. Yeah. I have no problem with her, but I like Foxy Brown a little more. Foxy Brown's one of those rappers who I think is an amazing rapper, but has beef with everyone. Yeah, she you get the feeling she's kind of difficult to deal with. Yeah, she has that thing where like she's really sexy, but also very frightening. Yes, she's badass. <laughs> like Lil Kim is a badass yeah. and is hot, but she's not scary. Something about Foxy Brown is like she'll beat the shit. Yeah, out of like you. she'll take off the high heels and right. like, let's 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 scrap. Right. Yeah. So this is uh this is a jam. This is uh This is really good. Yeah, this is Big Bad Mama. I remember uh, this. Featuring Drew Hill, who's for a hot minute big. Yeah. Um and this is off the movie soundtrack, Def Jam's How to Be a Player. I vaguely remember it was not a I hit, saw this movie. <laughs> I starring who stars in How oh, to Be a Player? It stars Bill Bellamy. Bill Bellamy's chance at stardom. Yes, and now he's the biggest movie star in the world. And <laughs> it all started with How to Be a Player. Bigger than Will Smith. Yeah, um, he always kind of seemed like he was trying to be. Yeah, the next one. he was. He for a hot minute was going to be the next big thing. Look, he was one of the best MTV VJs in oh, the nineties. Great, bar none. So so relaxed and charming. But he was also. A stand-up comedian. Yeah, he wasn't where, an actor. Was not, really eh, an actor. not really the greatest stand-up. Uh, he tried to be in movies. Not really the greatest actor. No. But he, he's a legendary MTV Oh, no, he's great. Yeah. And he's funny. He was in uh, Any Given Sunday. So, yeah, so and he does have a lot of, lot of charisma. That's yeah, just something really that just does. never quite popped. But this video is so 1997. Yeah, yeah. It's great. And it starts off with a lot of talking. And there's some surprise guests in this. Yeah. And it's got a real heavy sample of Bad Mammy Jam. Bad Mammy Jam by Carl Carlton, which yeah. is why the song is so good. Right. 
And because Foxy Brown kicks ass. Foxy Brown rapping over that. He's just been MIA for a while. So right now, this is uh, Bill Bellamy uh, at a party talking to, you won't know who this is. Mm -hmm. This is Chris Webber. Chris Webber is a basketball basketball star. Yeah. Look, I don't know anything about sports, but it was in the 90s. So so I was young enough at the time and in school with other dudes. Yes. You know enough. Vaguely aware. There you go. So yeah, Chris Webber, who by now was probably on the Kings Mm -hmm. uh, and was a rising star of the basketball scene, is great. And now is way since retired. Is this that thing they're doing where this isn't a clip from the movie, but Bill Bellamy's sort of being in character from his character in the exactly. movie? Exactly. Okay. And this whole video is basically a Cinderella. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I wonder what Bill Bellamy's doing now. I bet you he's tours. Yeah. Doing stand-up? Yeah, I bet you can, he can get a room. He's a big enough name. He is funny. Yeah. And then who is this on the right? Vivica... Fox. Uh, yeah. I'll never not have a crush on she's her. She's the greatest. Yeah. Here's the other thing. She's not in this movie. Oh, she's not? <laughs> no. Okay. Is she in Booty Call? Yes. Okay, I confuse Booty Call with How to Be a Boy. Booty Call is Tommy Davidson. And Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx. And Vivica Fox. Vivica Fox. And who's the other woman in that movie? Rachel True? I don't think so. I think I remember if it were Rachel True. No, it's someone else. It's yeah. someone else. You're right, you're right. There's Foxy Brown. She's just got one of those faces. Like, she's, her face looks... She's just got a mean mug. Yeah. She doesn't have resting bitch face exactly. She has resting yeah. mean mug face. Like, you said something wrong to her. Yeah. It's right there. Yeah. Well, the dark... It was always the dark lipstick. Yeah. It was a good look. She's hot. <laughs> like, she plays annoyed real well. Yeah. So now here's the guy. I don't remember who this guy is. There's videos that have all this set up yes. back then. This is... I mean, it's like the 90s, so they're like, we can do any video any yeah. way we want, because we're always going to play videos. This, like, 1997, I feel, is like peak music video budget. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because you're like, videos are still huge. Yes. You make money off of them. You need to have them. Money's no object. Yeah. And for me, this is uh, the best Drew Hill has ever been. I don't, I don't know how much Drew Hill. I don't like Drew Hill a lot, okay. uh, but I like them in this. Yeah. They're like... To me, Drew Hill is like, Jodeci is done, now it's time for the next group, so yeah. that's going to be Drew Hill. Okay. <laughs> I think you've said that before. Yeah. Bernie Mac is in this movie. Before oh, cool. Before it became huge. Yeah. Uh, I love this movie. I love this song. I saw this movie. How I know this movie is, I was in San Diego because I had... I just moved to LA for the, in the year and I booked uh, a small role on a syndicated TV show called Nightmare. I, I remember you yes. showing us a clip of that yes. when we were working About against. a superhero who also is a saxophone player. <laughs> and I had booked a, like a three-line role on it. She's like a security guard or something? Security guard. Yeah. Who, that, like, if I'm not mistaken... Bonnie and Clyde and Al Capone come back to life and start robbing banks. What network was it on? It was syndicated. Oh, so it was, like it was a, on like UPN. Right. Yeah. Like it would come on after Hercules, The Legendary yeah, Journey, like and then Xena, and then yeah. Nightman, and it's and 1 it, o'clock in the morning. Exactly. That was it. And it played forever like yeah. overseas and stuff. Oh, okay. And so I, they needed me there for the week. Which was great because I got paid for the week, but yeah. they didn't need me every day. So 
The director's like, just like, we'll call you. We'll, we'll actually, no, we'll page you when you need to come to set. Yeah. And so I saw how to definitely how to be a player one day. While you were waiting to be called. I had nothing to do, and I didn't know anyone in San Diego, so I just hoping, like, oh, hoping that they wouldn't page you during the movie yes. and make you have to leave How to Be a Player. And I remember going, ooh, Def Jam's How to Be a Player. This is going to be good. Okay, so this was the first movie put out by Def Jam Pictures. Yes. And I googled Def Jam Pictures to try to find out what, what else they ever did. And I could find no information at all about Def Jam Pictures. Wow. This might have been a one and done it for that venture. I mean, it could be because, you know, they had Def Jam music. Def Jam, a comedy jam, was already big. Sure. So that was huge. I think the poetry slam was starting to happen, too. I think that came a little later. A little bit later. But so they were big. Yeah. So they must have been like, we can do movies. We can do anything we want. And yeah. then they did this. And it didn't really work. Yeah, I vaguely remember this just because when you're that age, you're just sort of aware of all pop culture. Yes. Other, but but even then, I barely remember it. Yeah, it was it was not a big hit. The song is bigger than the hit. Yeah, and honestly, I don't remember any other song from this uh, movie. Yeah, yeah. And this still plays. This will still play on uh, 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 K Day back in the day. So nineties hip hop. This will play. This is one of those deals too, where this is not on. Was not on Il Nana. But but then yes. later pressings because it was such a hit they put it on yes. the album which is a smart move right because um, I think it was a bigger hit than any of the I might have been yeah well there was uh, the the thing they did with Blackstreet uh, got to get you home tonight which is another sample of another seventy song yeah um, but yeah uh, I love this song I think I love it because of Carl Carlton I mean it's Batman Jam it's Batman Jam and then it's Foxy Brown rapping and, and then the Brown chorus is just Batman Jam yeah. But you're right, too. It's like, it's 97. Whatever the video costs is whatever the video costs. Yeah. Doesn't don't, matter. Don't make it back. Yeah, we'll make it back. Videos will never die. But this is that Mo Money, Mo Problems style. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. Like yeah a little is. bit of a fisheye land. Yes. Lots of dancers yeah. in matching outfits. And then Bill Bellamy smelling... Uh, Foxy Brown sand uh, uh, I, I get that it's a Cinderella thing, but I hate feet. And the video, <laughs> the video ends with him sniffing a woman's shoe, and big no thanks. <laughs> that's, I hate foot stuff. That's man. why the movie tanks. <laughs> but luckily, we have the song. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was our again. Def Jam still exists. Is yeah. still a huge deal in hip hop. We mostly stuck to the beginnings of Def Jam, but for you and me, that's that's where that's that's where it is. I I don't. I'm sure there are other Def Jam artists. I don't really know. I don't really care to know. No, I care about the Rick Rubin. Yeah, yeah, I care about that. Yeah. Plus, plus Foxy Brown. Yeah, you can't go wrong with Foxy Brown. Right, right, right. Or Slayer. (laughs) Or Slayer. Foxy Brown. Slayer. How come they never recorded anything together? Look, if Sting and Shaggy can record an album together, why not Foxy Brown why not? Slayer? Why not? Make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> it can't hurt either person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's all for this episode of Music Raygun. Thanks for listening. Music Raygun is hosted by me, Paul Champanelli. And me, Kirk Pinchon. Our theme music is by Bagweed. Bagweed's music is now on Spotify, so go check that out. Our credits music is Raygun by Bad Bad Not Good and Ghostface Killer. If you like the show, please take a moment to rate it and review it on your favorite podcast app. It'll help other people find us. And if you know someone who might like Music Raygun, please tell them about it because word of mouth is the best way to share the show. Until next time, see ya!